so glad that you're here. We have so much to celebrate. And I'm especially glad that you're here on this weekend. I want you to meet a very, very special friend of mine who is our guest for the weekend. If you asked me, Pastor Ken, who are the three most important spiritual leaders in the last 30 years here in the South Bay area? Pastor Dave Sawkins would be one of those three. He has had a strategic role in, in shaping the spiritual climate of the South Bay. He planted a church in 1985, South Valley Church, and it grew to become one of the leading churches in our area. Then a few years ago, he led a merger between South Valley and Los Gatos Christian, and they became Venture Church, and it's a great church today. Can we give God praise for Venture and the work that's going on there? And Pastor Dave is the one who was able to make that happen. And under his leadership, there are four or five churches that are flourishing in the South Bay as a result of his direct leadership. Now, some time ago when Pastor Dave stepped away from pastoring, uh, he's given his life to, to missions, and he does so much work down in, in Mexico, spends a lot of his time down there, uh, spends time over in Europe, helping to train pastors and leaders in that area. And he's also involved in meeting with national leaders and local leaders on uh, building a bridge and helping to be a, a positive influence when it comes to public policy. And he has been such a great friend, both to my dad and to me, a mentor to me. And it's such an honor. It's the first time he's actually spoken here at Cathedral of Faith. But I want you to give him a great big Cathedral Faith welcome. Would you welcome Pastor Dave Sockets? I love you. Oh, wow. Thanks so much. Well, good morning, Cathedral. You can sit down. It's just good to have you here, and it's good for me to be here. We've talked about this for a number of years, and it's uh, finally taking place. Listen, first of all, I want to thank you. Uh, for what you're doing in the world. The church is both local and global. Now, how many of you have ever been to Cabo San Lucas? Can I see your hands? Some of you have gone down there on vacations and so forth. Now, if you stay along in San Jose del Cabo, Cabo San Lucas, and all the tourist areas, then, then you'll see all the tourist things. But you don't have to get very far off of the main drag, and you're in the barrios or the colonials, as we also call them, where people are living in shacks, who are hauling water in. Uh, some of them have maybe one light bulb in their entire house. Uh, those who are more prosperous now are beginning to build some block buildings. But there are kids there that are hungry and know about Jesus. So I want to show you some pictures up here. First of all, we are feeding almost 10,000 meals a month uh, down in southern Baja because of you. Give yourself a hand. So these kids are being fed. And I tell you, they really get excited when I go out and buy them pizza. And we have kids who have never had pizza before. And we'll give them pizza. We feed them good food. Here's the other thing that goes along with this. We give them a Bible story every time they come together. So some of the guys read four or five times a week. Some of them feed six, 11 kitchens all together. And we tell them about Jesus. We feed them. Listen, we want to feed the, you know, both the, the body and the soul. Because we know in the transformation of Jesus that life will become brand new for these kids. Some of them living in desperate situations. The other things that we try to do every year, and I'm a major part of that, is Christmas gifts. 
So we take down Christmas gifts. So last uh, April, right after Easter, I had to rent a big van here in town, and, and I went all the way down past San Diego. You could see the border from the place where I stopped, and we took down over $8,000 worth of toys down there for Christmas. And then they, yeah, yeah, give God a hand. Now, now on top of that, uh, I'm going down again the end of this month. I'm going back again in October. I'm going back again in November. Somewhere in there, we'll buy like 300 soccer balls because soccer is a big thing down there. Amen? You know, I'm just glad you're here because the World Cup's going on today. So thanks for being here. So, you know, so we'll have the soccer balls and everything down there. And, and people go down with me and we wrap gifts and we wrap gifts so during this time of the year. Somebody said, well, why don't you just give them the gifts? I said, you can't give them a gift that's not wrapped. So we wrap them all up, put ages on them, and, that, and we have a tremendous time. And thank you for doing that because without your participation, these kids would not be receiving the blessing they're receiving. So give yourselves a hand again for a wonderful work that you're doing. Now... Now, Pastor Ken and I have talked uh, over a number of years now about me coming to preach sometime, and I just kind of knew that if it ever came about that I was going to come and preach to you on some weekend, that something would probably try to get in the way. You know, sometimes you just kind of have a feeling, you know, something's going to get in the way. Well, something got in the way yesterday before I came to preach at the Saturday service, but I didn't tell Ken about it because maybe it would have stopped me from preaching. And so you say, what in the world was that? Well, I took my wife out to lunch. And as we went walking in the restaurant, a little guy jumped out of the, out of the bushes, a uh, little empty's grin on his face and his hands up like this, and he says, hi, I'm a medium. And my wife and I looked at him, we looked at each other, we walked around him and thought, man, now how many of you know there's strange people in California? <laughs> All right, now don't look at the person next to you. I mean, there's just strange people in California. And so we're eating, and while we're eating, this guy pops up again and comes by our table and does this waving of the hands and that, and he says, uh, hi, I'm a medium. And we're hoping he doesn't come back. It doesn't stay long. Uh, we continue eating our meal. We finally finish up, and uh, there, there's been peace. But uh, uh, as we walk out the door, there he is again. Now, you, you need to know my wife and I are in our 70s. We've been married uh, 52 years. Uh, you know, that's been, it's been a great, a great ride. But uh, uh, he hopped out in front of my wife and almost knocked over and did this thing and said, hi, I, I'm a medium. Now, now, I'm old school. You don't do that to my wife. So I decked him right there. And my wife got all upset, says, you can't do that, you can't do that, you're a pastor, you can't do that. And I, she says, you're a pastor, you can't do that. I said, don't tell everybody I'm a pastor. You know, and I finally kind of grabbed her by the shoulders and I looked at her and I said, honey, I only did what my dad told me to do. When in doubt, strike a happy medium. <laughs> now, don't go out saying to people, Pastor Dave's hitting people. And I heard some of you groan at the punchline. But you'll use it. You know you will. It's a good story. Now, what is the story that we want to talk about today? The story we want to talk about today is a story of redemption. Now, a number of years ago, a college professor had a cart, and he wheeled it into the classroom. And the kids saw him wheel it in, and it was covered over so they couldn't see what was around the cart. And so after he got the cart in there, he reached in underneath, and he pulled out a 10-gallon wide-mouth jar. And the kids just looked at the jar... 
And then the professor reached back underneath and he pulled out a, a little pail that had rocks in it about this big. And he took one rock and he put it in a jar and another rock and put it in a jar and another rock and put it in a jar because he couldn't get any more of those rocks in it anymore. And he said to the, the students, he said, is this jar full? And a couple of them said yes, but most of them said no. And he reached back underneath and he uh, pulled out another pail that had pea gravel in it, little gravel. And he poured that into the jar and it filled her down along all the rocks and everything. And then he looked at the students and he says, is the jar full? And some of them said yes, but still about 60% of them said no. And he reached back down underneath and he pulled out a, a, a pail that had fine sand in it. And he took that sand and he poured it into there and it filled it in among the big rocks and, and the pea gravel until it looked like it was full. And, and then he said to the class, he says, is the jar full? And most of the class said yes. But then he reached back underneath the table again and he brought out a pitcher of water. And he poured it down and the water filled it into the sand until the water filled the brim of it. And he finally said to the class, is it full? And everybody agreed it was full. And he said to them, what's the moral to the story? What's the point? And almost all the students said in unison, there's always room for more. And he said, no, that's not the moral of the story. He said, the moral of the story is if you don't start with the big rocks first, you can't get everything else in. So listen, in my faith, there are some big rocks and one of those rocks is a theme that runs all the way through the Bible. From the beginning of the end, there is a theme called redemption. God bringing us into a life of redemption. So you have an outline. And I don't have everything written for you on the outline, but you have this. And if you want to pull it out, it has our theme verse. And then it has a lot of other verses that you can look up that I'm going to read to you today. Now, somebody says, what do you do with the outline? Well, you got some choices of what you do with the outline. You can fill it in so you can remember and look back at it sometime. You can doodle on it and it takes up some time while you're here in church. Or if you follow along, you know when we're almost done. You know, and, and, when we're, and when we're going to be out of here. So uh, we're not going to do a lot of the fill-ins until we get to the end. But, but here's what happens. Uh, in, the, in the book of Job, in the story of Job, Job loses everything. He's a very wealthy man, very prosperous man, a big family man. And all of his wealth, all of his cattle are all taken away. Then all of his kids die. And then boils break out on his body, and, he, and he's taking potsherds, and he's straping off the boils. And his wife, faithful wife, comes to him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? How many of you like to have a spouse like that? You know? And then three of his friends show up, and three of his friends are supposed to comfort him, but they don't comfort him. But in this book, we find this word of prophecy. It's found in the 19th chapter, and I've got it in your outline. Job says this, I know that my Redeemer, circle the word Redeemer, lives, and that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. So what is Job saying to us? He says, there's a Redeemer coming, and he's my Redeemer. In one of these days, he will stand on the face of this earth. So what is the Bible beginning to say to us? We have some over. The Bible tells us one singular story about God's pursuit of his prized creation. 
He tells the story of God's pursuit of the prodigal children, God's pursuit of relationship with those who are easily overwhelmed. Let's put the next thing up here. It is a story of a king who knew that he couldn't show up in all of his glory and all of his grandeur and have a relationship. So what happens next? In his grandeur and his glory, he would overwhelm us. So he chose to show up in the form of a what? A carpenter, a human being, a baby. Not to force our love, but to do what? To win our love. So all through the Bible, there's a story of redemption that's beginning to take place. It's a story of a king who wants to draw us into the midst of his love and to care for us. Now, what does it mean to redeem something? What it means to redeem something, I don't know if we've got this up here, but to redeem something is to buy something back. There it is. It means to buy back. It means to gain possession. It means to recover by payment. Now, I've been coming to church here for years. I sneak in on Saturday night most of the time. And I sit in the back somewhere, and I sit behind the biggest guy I can find. Because I know that if he sees me, he'll invite me up to pray. And I just, and it's not that I'm against praying. I just want to be able to come worship, so I hide back there. I don't let him know until later, and I text him, and I say, great sermon. You know? But I come in, and I watch what's going on, and I know Pastor Kenny. Now, listen, when I first moved to town in in 1983, I was the assistant to the president at a place called San Jose Christian College. It's, it's, It's now William Jessup University in Rockland. And I came by the church one day with a friend of mine, and I said, tell me about that church. And they said, that's Foreman's church. And I said, Foreman, that's Kenny Foreman's church. And, and I said, tell me about it. He said, the only thing you need to know about that church is that Kenny Foreman is a man of integrity. If he tells you he's going to do it, it's done. Yeah, and that's your history. That's just your history of what's going on here. And Pastor Kenny used to tell a story. He used to tell a story about a little boy who made a, a little sailboat, made it by hand. And he would take it out to the lake, and he would push it out with a stick, and the wind would bring it back in, and he'd push it out again, and the wind would bring it back in, and he'd push it out again, and he'd bring it back in. But one of the days, the wind changed, and the little boat took off, and the boy didn't see it anymore, didn't know how to find it. And a couple of weeks later, he goes into into town, and he goes to the tourist store, and there's his boat. And he goes in and he says to the guy, you know, the owner or the clerk who's there, he says, that's my boat and I want to have it. And the guy said, that's my boat, it's not yours. He says, it's mine. And the boy said, but I made it. He says, it's my boat. And the man said to him, if you want that boat, it's going to cost you five bucks, son. And so the little boy goes home and robs his piggy bank. <laughs> he you know, does some work for his dad. And he does some work for a neighbor. And over the next couple of days, he raises his five bucks and he goes in and he buys the boat. And when he gets it, he takes it outside the store, and he's holding it in his hand, and he looks at the boat, and he says this. He says, I made you, and I paid for you. You're mine twice. And that's exactly what we're talking about, what God's doing. He is our creator, but we moved away from him, so he's made a way of redemption to bring us back in Christ Jesus, who gives us life on the cross. And God says to us then, when we come to him in Jesus, that we belong to him twice. It's exactly what's taking place. So here's what, you know, there's a lot of scripture. Let me give you, David and Moses and, and Paul and Isaiah all talk about redemption. And so God is talking to Moses and said this, Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites who are in, in Egyptian as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to my children, to the Israelites, I am the Lord. 
and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I, then here's the key word, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts. Listen, the Bible tells us that God is not just committed to my physical freedom. He is committed to my spiritual freedom. He comes to redeem me both physically and spiritually that I might live in his fullness and goodness because he's a God of my redemption. King David is in this great love relationship with God. And, 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 and here's what, the, what David writes, and he says, Who is like your people, Israel? The one nation on earth who God went out to redeem a people for himself. And then David also says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your sin, who redeems your life from the what? From the pit. Have you ever been in the pit? Need to be redeemed? Man, I have. Sometimes it's been physically, sometimes it's been spiritually. Jeremiah talks about being in the miry pit and has to be pulled out. I don't know if you've ever been to the Grand Caymans, but if you go to the Grand Caymans, there's a thing they call Seven Mile Beach. It's a beautiful beach. But on the back side of that, on the other side of the island, there's another beautiful beach area. And here's the water, and then there's a breakwater out here, and there's all the you know, rocks and everything out here, and then there's an inlet. Now, they don't post any signs, and they don't tell you this, because there's good snorkeling in there, but they don't tell you that that inlet lets the water in, and it flows this way, and it flows around, and then it flows back out the end. It's like watching a toilet boy. You ever watch a toilet boy do one of them? It's exactly what it is. So I'm out there snorkeling, and I get caught in a toilet bowl. I get into a, a, a riptide that I can't get out of. I'm trying to swim out of it. And I'm an okay swimmer. I'm not a great swimmer, but I can't break out of it. And all of a sudden, that riptide's bringing me around like a toilet bowl, and it's heading me right out to sea, right out to that inlet. And there's no signs that say anything about it. And as you get ready to go out, there's a pole over here and a pole over here, and I thrust my body towards the pole, and I hang on to a pole. And I look over there, and there's everybody on the beach. And I don't give them a smile doing this. Man, I give them one of these big ones. Help! Help! And before long, there's a, an Aussie that shows up, and he's on a wave runner. He said, hey, Yank, you need some help? And I said, you bet I need some help, because, man, I'm in the midst of the pit, and God knows how to redeem you from the pit. He knows how to take your spirit that's all crushed and broken and to turn it around and make your spirit and your life something wonderful to his glory. And that's exactly what God has done with you, and he's done for me. Listen. Somebody says to me, I grew up in Southern California. Somebody said, where do you come from? And I've never said the blessed side. I come from the wrong side of the tracks. And I remember being saved. And one of the first things God said to me is, I don't make junk and you're not junk. Because he's the God who redeems. Yeah, give God a hand. He's the God who redeems our life and does for us wonderful things. Now, what David understood is that having a relationship without God is not do's and don'ts. Having a relationship with God is having an intimacy with him, a loving intimacy. So I love the song that we did about dancing. Now, I'm a terrible dancer, but I love the song about dancing. Some of you know the name Jack Hayford, who's been the pastor of Church in the Way in Southern California when he's down there a number of years. I remember being with Jack one time, and Jack said I was uh, in a service just like our service today, and he said the music was good, it was hot, it was alive. And he said there was a guy that got up and started dancing in the aisle. He said, my pride kind of swelled up in me. And I said, God, I'm glad I don't have to dance like that. Now, don't tell God things like that. 
Don't say anything. Come about three weeks later, they're in the middle of worship, and God said to Jack, Jack, dance for me. And Jack said, what? He said, dance for me. Well, look, I understand that. For years over at the Old South Valley Church, we had a place just like you. There's a place for the choir to gather up behind the stage. There's some, some rooms back there that we could have for a prayer room and so forth. And in our style of worship, we had communion every week. Every, every week we had communion. And we had a time where the choir would go back to one of the rooms and they would have communion together. Then they would come out on stage and I would be back there all by myself and there would be the communion tray. And I would take that bread and eat and I'd take that cup and drink and remember Jesus. And I remember one day I took the bread and I had the cup and God said, dance with me. He didn't say dance for me. He said dance with me. And I said, God, you know I'm not good at this. He said, I'll lead. And so he says, I said, what do you want me to do? He says, dance with me. And so I put my arm up like this and around like this. And I heard him say to me, lean in. And I knew what he meant. Listen, some things were rough and some things were good, but I knew that I needed him. And I, I leaned in just like I put my head on his breast. And Sunday after Sunday for months, back there in that room all by myself where the people are out in front still singing and going to worship, God and I did this dance together. It was sweetness to my soul. And what he was letting me know all over again is that the relationship is built on intimacy, not on the do's and don'ts. It's coming into a love relationship with him that will go on forever and ever. And those times still fill my heart with goodness as I think back to those dances that we shared together week after week, month after month. So here's what Isaiah says. The Redeemer will come to Zion. That's Jerusalem. So those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declare the Lord. And then you have the, the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah. He prophesies and says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, praise the Lord, the God of Israel. For he has come and he has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for the house of David. And then you have the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul says, in him, talking about Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins in accordance to God's grace. And then Paul writes again and he says, not only, only so, but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit grown, he says, inwardly, as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemptions of our soul. Now, let me just give you something. The Bible teaches this, that because of redemption, that we have far more to look forward to. So listen, I want to, <laughs> I want to give you six names, and I want to give you a word, and I want to give you an action. And I want to show you how this whole theme of redemption goes through the Bible. So let me just go ahead and put these up. Here's the first name. The first name is Adam. And what's the key word for Adam? It's potential. Now put your hands out here like this for me. Will you please? Put your hands out. And do this. Just do this. That's Adam. Adam was birthed in a sense in potential to do right or wrong. And Adam chose poorly. And because he did, relationship was broken with God. And man and all of creation went into a, a minor key because in the midst of this potential, Adam 
chose poorly, and his results have come down through all humanity. Well, somebody says, well, pastor, how do you, how do you know that, that when, you, when you make the wrong choices, how do you, you, you know. Well, listen, a man went walking into a, a pet store one day, and he went walking in, and he passed by a parrot, and when he went by the parrot, the parrot said, you're ugly. And the guy just looked at the parrot, couldn't believe what the parrot said, so he kept walking around the store. He went by the parrot a second time, and the parrot saw him and said, you're ugly. And then it happened the third time, and the guy was kind of ticked off. And so he went to the manager, and he says, I don't know what's going on here, but he says, every time I go by that bird, it calls me ugly. And the manager says, I'll take care of that. So he grabs the parrot and takes him behind the wall, and you hear, wop, 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 wop. And he brings the parrot back out, and the, feather, the feathers are kind of disheveled on the parrot, and the man continues to walk around the pet store, and he walks back by the parrot. And the parrot looks at him, and he looks at the parrot, and after they look at each other while the man says, what? And the parrot says, you know. Well, listen, you can deny that you're disconnected from God. You can just try to deny that there's sin in your life, that you're not following the family vows, but you know. <laughs> listen, I'll tell you, one of the ways you know when Adam and Eve sinned, they, they, they were naked before they sinned, and then they put together, you know, fig leaves so they could hide their nakedness from each other, and God comes walking in the garden, and they hide from God, and then God finally says, what have you done? And what did Adam do? He said, it's the woman you gave me. <laughs> and then he said to the woman, what have you done? It's the serpent you made, God. Well, how do I know I'm a sinner? I hide and I hurl. I hide from you and I hide from God and I blame you for everything else that's going on in my life. And so you got Adam and Eve that have this potential. And just like us, they chose poorly. Now, here's the next name that we want to see. The next name is Abraham. Now, Abraham becomes the person of promise. So put your hands out like this. So the, the symbol of promise is just let your hands drop. God puts a promise into the hands of Abraham. And he makes him three promises. And here are the promises. He says, everybody's going to know your name. Now, how many of you have ever heard of Father Abraham? Teach that song to our kids. How many of you know people by the name of Abraham? Everybody's going to know your name. And then secondly, he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. Now listen, that's a promise because at that time, Abraham and his wife were getting older and there's no kids. And Abraham must be thinking in the back of his mind, how is that one going to happen? Because God says, I'm not only going to make you a great nation, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the sands on the sea and as, as the stars in the sky. And finally, Sarah gets pregnant, and she's 90 years old. How many of you ladies like to try that one? Yeah, 90 years old, and she gets pregnant. You know, and I'm thinking Sarah saying to him, what have you done to me? Yeah. You know? And God's going to make a great nation. Now, what's the purpose of this nation? Ken was talking about it earlier. He says, every family on the earth will be what? Blessed. Blessed for you. This is what we call the top line and the bottom line blessing. God gives to Abraham the top line blessing. And the people who have the top line blessing, what's their job? To give the blessing to the people on the, on the bottom line. 
And if you're on the bottom line and get the blessing, then you go to the top line. What's your job? To give the people on the bottom line the same blessing that you receive so they can become on the top line. Because what God is saying to Abraham is through you the Messiah is going to be born. And because of that, every, now not just nation, every ethnic on the face of the earth is going to be blessed. And that's the promise. Are you ready? Here's what we got. Just do it with me. We got potential, and then we got promise. What's the next one we want to look at here? The next one is Moses, and his is Passover. So remember the story of Moses? His life is saved when he's born. He grows up in the Pharaoh's house. He has to run away from Egypt because he's killed somebody, and now they're going to try to come get him. And then God says to him, you go back. And God says to him, when you go back, I want you to deliver my people from bondage. Now, let me say something to you here. You've got to hear me right. Slavery is always wrong. But here's what happens. When Abraham and you know, Jacob, you know, when they move the family of Israel into Egypt, they're free people. But they are a tribe of 70 people. Now, let me tell you something. If you're a tribe of 70 people, a tribe of 300 can annihilate you. So God moves the tribe of 70 people into the heart of Egypt, which is the greatest military might of the day. And by putting the Israelites into the heart of Egypt, no other tribe can wipe them out. Now, here's the other thing. Over a matter of time, they become slaves. And somebody said, well, who wants to be a slave? No one. But here's what God was up to. God said to Abraham, you are supposed to be a separate people. You're my people, and the Messiah is going to come from the Israeli race. And I don't want you intermarrying with other people. And so when the Egyptians made them slaves, guess who the Egyptians didn't want to marry? They didn't want to marry the slaves. And because of that, God protected them and kept them separate from the rest of the people until they grew to be about three million people. They were no longer a tribe. They were a nation. And Moses shows back up and says to the Pharaoh, God says, you let my people go. And then the plagues begin. Remember Charleston Heston and the Ten Commandments? The plagues begin, you know, or the Prince of Moses, if you're watching Disney. The plagues begin, and the last plague is the death angel comes. And here's what God says to Moses. He says, you have the people kill a lamb, eat the lamb, but you take the blood of the lamb and you put it to the doorpost of your house. And when the death angel comes, wherever the death angel sees the blood of the lamb, the death angel will pass over. So are you ready? Here's our sign. Potential, promise. You ready for this one? Passover. And so here's what the Bible says. The Bible says whenever God looks at your life and the blood of Jesus has touched your life, you have passed from death to what? To life in Christ Jesus because it's a whole story of redemption and God is bringing us to redemption in Christ Jesus. Now let's look at the next one. The next one is David and the word for him is passion. 
David was passionate about God. So if you read the Psalms, you can feel his passion because they're his love letters to God one after another. Now, I don't know where you were two weeks ago, but two weeks ago, I, went, I was in church in Croatia. And they were playing, Croatia was playing Denmark to try to get to the World Cup, and they're playing in the finals today. And when, and when Croatia, when, when they won, the whole place was pandemonium. Everybody was dancing in the streets. There was this passion because we get this worst passion. By the way, one of the things that concerned me about preaching here was standing behind this pulpit. I was afraid if I got behind this pulpit, I'd become a Raiders fan. So I, I was a little concerned about coming. But listen, but what's the sign for passion? Put your hands together like this. It's just passion. David became passionate for an intimacy with God and a love for God. Uh, yeah, amen. Now, what's the next name we've got? The next name we got there is Zedekiah. Now, you don't know who Zedekiah is. Now, Zedekiah is in the part of the Bible that for most of you, it's in the Old Testament. If you open it up, moths would come out because you haven't read the Old Testament in a long, long time. But Zedekiah is the last king of Israel. So here's the story. Nebuchadnezzar comes and captures all the people and begins to take them away. And he sets up a puppet king. And the last puppet king is a guy by the name of Zedekiah. And Zedekiah is sending the tax money to Nebuchadnezzar. Year after year after year, he's sending all this money to Nebuchadnezzar until finally he says, one day I want to keep the money for myself. And so he doesn't send the tax money, and he causes a rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar does exactly what everybody thought he was going to do. He sends his army, and he surrounds Jerusalem. And Zedekiah is in deep weeds. And so what does he do? He calls for Jeremiah the prophet, and he says to the prophet, Do you have a word of God for me? How many of you ever done that? You get in deep weeds, and then you say, is God around here somewhere? So the prophet shows up, and he says, yeah, I got a word for you from God. God says for you, open the gates, wave the white flag, let the army come in, and everything's going to be okay. And Zedekiah said, what? And Jeremiah says, I just told you, open the gates, Wave the white flag, let the army come in, and everything's going to be okay. Now, are you ready for the sign of Zedekiah? Put your hands out like this. You ready for the sign? <laughs> Pride. How many of you have children? How many of you had a two-year-old do this to you? <laughs> it doesn't set well. And so Zedekiah, instead of doing what the prophet told him to do, they break open a, a part of the wall in the back of the city, and Zedekiah runs for his life. And he doesn't get very far until they catch him. And when they catch him, they bring all of his family to him and kill all of his family in, in his sight. And then they poke out his eyes. I mean, it's a terrible, bloody story. Now, here's the good part of it. Nebuchadnezzar is in jail in, 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 in Babylon, and after a while, even though he's physically blind, spiritually, his eyes become enlightened, and he turns back to God. So let me give you the lesson. When God disciplines us, it's not payback. It's his way to win us back. But every time you do this to God, 
you know sooner or later you're going to be disciplined, not because God's trying to pay you back, just because he wants to win you back. And so what's the last name that we see up here? The last name we see is Jesus. And his name, you know, the name for him is Payment. And somebody said, well, pastor, what, what's his sign? Let me tell you, it's not this. It's not this. Put your hands up like this. What's the sign for Jesus? Just like this. He will wipe away every tear. And Yeah, amen. Give God a hand. He'll wipe away every tear from your eye. So he comes and he gives his life for us so that we can be reconnected back to God. We can be, become part of re, the redeemed. Now listen, my dad was uh, turned 57 two hours after I was born. I was uh, the baby of the second family. His first wife had died. He married my mom, who was over 20 years younger than him, who had never been married. Two more kids showed up. So he was 57, and since when I was born, he died at 87. I was 30 years old, and at that time, he had lived with me for a while, but then he'd gone up to Idaho to live with my sister, and my sister said he's getting near the end, and so I went up to be with my dad, and I had the privilege of holding my dad in my arms while he died. And I don't know if you know this or not, don't mean to be morbid, but when you die, you die with your eyes open. And God had said to me, you're the baby of the family, but your job is to close your eyes in death. He just, I just knew that. He had, he had told me that. And so he died in my arms, and I closed his eyes in death. And my dad was a good man. He loved me, talked to me about Jesus. And during that time, God taught me a little story. It's the story of the wind and the bird. And it's when the bird had the wind speak to it, and the wind said to the bird, I'm going to blow your nest out of the tree. And then I'm going to blow your tree down. And then I'm going to blow on you. What do you think about that? And the bird said to the wind, go ahead and blow my nest out of the tree. And go ahead and blow my tree down. But when you blow on me, I'll spread my wings and fly away. So Jesus says he's gone to prepare a place for us that where he is, we will also be forever. Because what does Jesus do for us? He wipes away every tear that we might have life in his love. So you ready for the hand singles? You ready? We had potential, okay? Then God began to give to us promise. Then the blood of Jesus has the death angel pass over us, and we can fall deeply in love with Jesus and have passion, just passion. All right? What's the next, what's the next sign? All right, well, well, no, this. Yeah, don't do that to God. Because when you do that to God, you miss, miss the blessing. But when you allow the blood of Jesus to be applied to your life, then what was the last one? He'll wash away all of your tears. Listen, I don't know where you are today, but I know this. If you embrace him and begin to dance, that he'll embrace you. And in the goodness of his love, He'll embrace you in his intimacy, and he'll wipe away all of your tears. Can you say amen to that? Can you say amen to that? Yeah, amen. So, Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you have made an eternal way for us in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, if there's someone here today that needs to begin the dance, if that's you,
Why don't you just say to God, God, I invite your son Jesus into my life. I want you to be my God. I want him to be my redeemer. Embrace me as I embrace you. Father, for everyone who says that, I ask that you bring them from death to life in Jesus Christ. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, my friend. Oh, everybody stand with me, please. Would you let Pastor Dave know how much you appreciate that great walk through the Bible? Wow! What an awesome understanding. The Bible's a big book. What's the main theme? Boy, you heard it today. And I, I hope that'll take hold of your heart.